everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And this is Dead and Married, the show where we discuss your favorite horror movies and maybe some you've never heard of. And today we're going to be talking 2005's Hostel, written and directed by Eli Roth. This film, I mean, I think uh, I think people are going to say that technically Saw kicked off the torture, torture porn. porn craze, but... Yeah. I would argue that this film technically, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess well, it's up for debate, but I would say this one definitely drove the point yeah. home. Well, Saw came out the year before, mm-hmm. I think, in 2004. The thing about that is that first Saw movie wasn't didn't fit the bill necessarily for torture porn the right. way the later installments of that franchise did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, if you watch this film and then the later Saw movies, it's almost like this movie inspired those as opposed to the other way around. I think so. I think so. And I'm, I mean, you and I were talking off mic earlier about how this movie, I, I think watching it through a different lens now, this one doesn't even seem to be as bad as we initially thought it was, you know, upon release. I mean, but then we're talking, what, almost 20 years since Pretty, its release? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Well, what is your first impression? Or oh what my was? Gosh. What was your first impression? <laughs> well, I went and saw this movie alone. I I I, I went through a time period where I kind of you weren't really big on watching these types of films with me. So, well, and if it's the uh, 2005 I was probably working nights then. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely. And I, I think at the time I, I was going and watching a lot of films by myself. And I remember going and watching the Texas Chainsaw remake by myself and this one. And I remember this movie fucking me up so bad at the t- at the time. Um, I hadn't quite seen anything like this yet because after this, you and I would kind of go on, especially when Jay and K-horror started becoming a thing. That's really when you and I started venturing out into more extreme fare. But at the time, I think this was pretty much as brutal as I'd gotten, you know, with the exception of maybe Hellraiser. But yeah, I, I remember going to watch this and somehow, I mean, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but I feel like I walked out of that movie changed somehow. Like, like it was the real end of innocence, I guess. And Maybe, again, that sounds kind of dramatic a little bit, but I think the thing is, is that was, this was post 9-11. So you were kind of, we were, were young adults at this point, early 20s. And I think this was really the first time I watched a movie and realized how cruel the world is and how cruel it was becoming, you know, after all that stuff. Yeah. Well, Eli Roth had said, has said on multiple occasions that kind of the inspiration for this movie was a story he read about, um a place where you go in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And for $10,000, they'd let you walk in a room and shoot someone in the head. Right. And apparently that was a real thing. Um, So yeah, I I don't know. I think after 9-11, everything... Americans had been insulated from that forever. And I think the world just got a lot scarier and it was reflected in our media. So, And speaking of reflection, I think it is perfectly reflected in this film, you know, because... There's a lot of xenophobia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, No, I I came out of it and I think I was just completely flabbergasted. It wasn't like anything that I had ever seen before. It was so mean-spirited. It was so bleak. And... And 
the kills in the film was just something again that I had never ever seen committed to film before so I I remember walking out just yeah just feeling different somehow you know I don't know it's it's a hard feeling to explain what about you um I you know the first time I watched this film I was it was one of those what the fuck did I just watch Mm -hmm, kind of things um it was a lot of it seemed gratuitous. There's a lot in this film that seemed gratuitous. Um, and this is just my first impression, like the gore, um, the nudity. And I know we're not going to get on our Puritan box or anything well, like that. Well, we're, we're anything but. Because <laughs> we're not. Um, but I walked out of it thinking like a frat boy made this movie. Right. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's a frat boy movie about frat boys mm-hmm. that get murdered in Slovakia. Um, I don't know. It was, I had a pretty low opinion of this film after yeah. I first watched it. Subsequent watches or rather recent watches because it's not one that's in our regular rotation. I don't think um, it's not as bad as I remember it being the first time mm-hmm. when you watch this film. And I know we'll talk about the acting later, the way the actors and actresses react in this film to what's being done to them makes you think you saw things you didn't see. Yes. Cause you only see a handful of deaths on screen. There are a lot of implied deaths in this film, but you don't see them all. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the effects from the torture, you don't actually see the torture. You may briefly see what it, the, the aftermath, but you really don't see it. Um, in progress, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example of that is when, uh, oh, spoilers. We've been doing a shit job of saying spoilers. <laughs> um, when, uh, what's his name? Josh. Young Harry. When he gets his Achilles <laughs> tendons cut, they don't show it. You right. see what happens after, but it's a quick cut when they show it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes you cringe. Made me cringe. I was like, oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. so bad. Like any, I think after Pet Cemetery, any any injury to the Achilles well, makes see, me like just draw up. See, that, but, that was exactly what I was thinking. I, I would say that the Achilles tendon cut in Pet Cemetery is far worse than this one because well, it you shows actually it. see it. Yeah. You know? And I think that's... That, and that's what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of the stuff that happens in this film that you don't see. After the first watch, I thought I saw it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of that, again, is credited to the actors and actresses that were in this film because they, we watched the documentary on it today and, and they went for it. Um, I don't know how they got in headspace to scream and, and act that way, but they did a fantastic job selling that they were really being tortured. So are you, are you feeling differently about it now that you're watching it kind of under, you know, under the lens of a real live boy now well <laughs> i was still pretty much a horror virgin at the time right <laughs> and this was probably outside of hellraiser the worst movie i'd ever seen mm-hmm. not necessarily in terms of quality but in terms of what i thought i had seen on screen um and that's the other thing the gore is not as bad as i remember it being after the first watch mm-hmm. you know um you've got the soft-boiled eyeball right <laughs> which is still gross but uh, when the people get hit by the car it's just three people laying in the street and they shot a little blood on them it's not that graphic mm-hmm. um when josh is being tortured except for the achilles tendon cut it's just blood you know i mean there's not well they, and there's not even a ton of that they do one close-up of a drill penetrating skin right and to the more trained eye being us you can tell that it's not real skin right. it, it looks really good but you can still tell that it's fake right right but at the end of that sequence with the drill when he throws the guy throws the drill down on the table and it's got like piece of flesh stuck to it yeah in your brain you just saw 
saw all that happen. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, it was a lot more clever than I gave it credit well, for here's, the first time Well, here's around. the question. Here's the question. Is it still as bad as it was, or are we just more jaded now? Because when you think of stuff like, for instance, the bedroom kill in Terrifier 2, that's, to me, at this point in my movie-watching career, that's as extreme as it gets. Well, uh, no, no, no. Maybe not. I still have seen Ichi the Killer in Tetsuo Diary. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Is is that it wasn't long after we watched this film that we got into J horror, right? And it's on a to- it's on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. It's like that one. I think that one grossed both of us out, and we kind of stopped it, with that. Yeah, I I did get to a point where I was going, okay, what's the line here? You know, because I you know I'm I'm a gore, I'm a slut for gore completely. Um, you know, I can I can watch uh, Terrifier two and go, that's disgusting. I love it. You know, but I also have a line where I'm going, okay, I'm never going to watch a film like Sallow or the 128 Days of Sodom. I'm not going to watch a Serbian film. Right. You know, um, Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox are two more examples I can think of of ones that I watched and I was like, the fuck am I doing? Well, that's the thing is that Cannibal Holocaust is so much worse than this film. Yeah, exactly. For that matter, Green Inferno is so much more graphic than this film. Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But yeah, yeah. First impression, this was the worst, worst film I'd ever seen. Since then, no, not really. No. I, I still think that there are portions of this film um, that were a little gratuitous. Okay. I feel like the nudity at the beginning, I, I don't I don't get it. And I'm not opposed to naked people. Um, I just, I don't know. We've, I've talked about it before. We've talked about it before. If it serves a purpose in the film, then it's fine. But this... Well, the thing is, is... I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. For me, it does. It does serve a purpose. So I get it. Um, that's not something you will hear me say very often. But in this case, I do understand what they were trying to get across. Is there a lot of it? Yes. There's a lot. <laughs> it's like the first half of the movie. Because I remember thinking um, that it wasn't that bad. You know, there's a couple, couple shots of tits here and there or whatever. And then when you get ready to introduce the movie to... Like, like Aiden and London had both seen it. Um, Aiden, actually, he and I watched it again together this week. Um, then you have those moments of, this is really uncomfortable. And not the nudity necessarily. Um, I think I've gone on record a lot of times on here and said that as far as the human body goes, I don't throw a big fit. You know, it's natural. It's biology. Whatever. But when it comes to, you know, the act, it's not that I'm a prude. It's just uncomfortable. I don't want to sit and watch that with my kids, you know? So um, there's... there's there's that moment where you're like, okay, if I can remember right, there's no more nudity or sex after this. And then you go, oh shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. You know? And then you're like, God damn, just get over because it feels like, this almost feels like two movies put together, right? You've got your kind of Animal House style film at the beginning. It's, and It's Euro Trip for the first 45 minutes. And then the last half is American Werewolf in London, which was something that, that dawned on me while I was watching it this time. I was like, this feels like two fucking John Landis movies put together. And then I started thinking about Eli Roth and I thought, oh, hell, he probably is a fan of John Landis. And then when we were watching the documentary, was it his DP or something um, shot for almost all 
of the he, John Landis no, films. No, was the, the editor. Yeah, and I thought, okay, so I'm not going crazy here, but that those were the definitely the vibes I've I got because it felt very 80s in inspiration. You know, where if you go to your kind of trashy teen comedies of the 80s, you know, like Porky's and stuff, um, pre American Pie, that's all they were. They were a group of guys trying to get laid and nothing but TNA for 90 minutes, right? So that feels very reminiscent of those trashy comedies. And then you take something like the last half of the film where it's these unassuming backpackers just kind of going and living their best life and having this horrible thing happen to them. And so at that point, it's kind of an American werewolf in London situation. And so, yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've kind of given our take on it, ratings wise, ah, he, he hit some Rob Zombie numbers here. <laughs> 59% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree that I don't. it's that bad. I don't agree. Um, it's definitely not a 10 out of 10, but I think it's better than a 5.9. Mm. Um, if for nothing else, it captured the early 2000s pretty accurately. I've, I've I got a lot say. to say on the subject, but um, we'll get there. We, we'll cover that when we talk about the story itself. Yes. But cast-wise, you already said, written and directed by Eli Roth. Um, so your your main cast, uh, Jay Hernandez plays Paxton. Derek Richardson, uh, who plays young Harry. <laughs> Oh my God, let it go. In the Dumb and Dumber movies, plays that's Josh. Good, that's good top hat. It is. Athor <laughs> Good Johnson plays Oli. I think it's pronounced Ether. Ether. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to fuck up all these names. <laughs> Barbara Nedeljakova plays Natalia. Jan Vlasek plays the Dutch Jan, businessman. Jan Vlasek. I'm just saying, you know what? Do you want to do this? No, you're good. <laughs> Jana Karabakova plays Svetlana. Jennifer Lim plays Kana. And let's see, Rick Hoffman plays the American client. So those are really just the ones that have speaking parts. There's there's actually, it's a fairly large cast, but it is. 99% of them are background. Um, so. And there's no way that we could possibly name all the children in that little child gang. <laughs> right, right. And some of them are they're credited, but they're in the background. Like Eli Roth is credited in this background in, right. in here. Mm-hmm. Because at one point they're in a, a pot shop in Amsterdam and him and his brother are getting high in the background. Mm-hmm. So um, like I think all the producers are in this. They're, you know. In some sort, yeah. Guy that throws rock, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so. uh, Ether, I'm going to fuck up his name. Just call him Oli. Oli um, was actually, wasn't he a location scout to begin with in so, Iceland? Something like that. And they, then he just landed a role yeah yeah he was uh <clears throat> was he an athlete at some point mm-hmm. and i think this is he was what he did he acted in this film and then he was a producer on part two right and that's that's it that's, that's all it. he ever did yeah <laughs> in terms of film that's all he ever and did. you'd you'd never know it by his performance too that's the crazy well part. that's the that was the thing is that basically he got on screen and just played himself yeah which i well i kind of hope that's not himself <laughs> well i think probably just the laughing joking yeah doesn't take stuff too seriously part right i mean surely yeah. he doesn't go around humping random people <laughs> or but, flashing people his butthole on trains <laughs> right <laughs> uh, but we watched you know that documentary that uh, was a hostile dissected mm-hmm. and he was doing that on set too just yeah. sort of a happy go lucky kind of guy but didn't eli roth actually apologize to iceland for how yes. they were portrayed in this yes. film 
Um, he did not apologize to um, Slovakia. Slovakia, though, even though they offered, they were they were a little upset about how they were portrayed, even though none of this film was shot there. Right. Um, it was shot in the Czech, Czech Republic, Republic in yeah. Germany. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they, they were so concerned about how they were portrayed, they offered him like an all-expenses-paid trip. Yeah. So that he could come see that they don't kidnap Americans and murder them, but... <laughs> They weren't uh, sure if he ever took them up on we that. We as Texans not. don't do that for people. See, we're not crazy. We don't chop up people with chainsaws here. So in Texas, <laughs> it's different because you run into them like, oh, you're from Texas. Yes. I hear everybody down there has guns. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so most of their, a lot of their assumptions about us are probably true. That's sad. Anyway. It's nothing to be proud of. It's not. <laughs> Except for when it comes <clears throat> to food. I would say we do have, we have pretty good food. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. So that just about does it for the casting crew um so story you had some stuff you wanted to talk about okay so everybody who is here probably already has seen the film knows the film so there's there's no you don't need me to break this all down for you so we're just going to get into it so i am an eli roth apologist the same way that i am a rob zombie apologist um now to eli roth's credit i don't necessarily think that his films are anything like Rob Zombie's films I think that you have a case of they just kind of came out around the same time you had this this group of directors that was getting kind of popular for mean-spirited films around this time you know you had like uh, Eli Roth Rob Zombie um James Wan James Wan um Alexander Aha um you had all these kind of guys coming up and they were making these very extreme films and people it just didn't mesh with people and I can't remember what film we were talking about it might have been Lords of Salem when we covered that um and we were talking about or maybe it was uh his Halloween remake but I do remember on the show saying one time that I feel like people don't like reality you know for for a country that watches nothing but reality tv we don't like to have the truth kind of put right in front of our face well even reality tv is not reality right yeah, exactly. Are you trying to tell me that Tyra Banks is fake? She's uh, not a real person? She'll sue me. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, I was talking about the dialogue that are in a lot of these films. This kind of, I, I, I don't want to use your phrasing of frat boy era. Let's just call it 90s kids, 80s and 90s kids. The, the stiffler thing, you know. We were talking about how people are always talking about how the dialogue is just absolute garbage. And my argument was, okay, even if you don't talk the way these people talk, you knew somebody who talked like that or you do know someone who talks like that. Um, there's a lot of us that are trying to break saying some of the words that we said from that from that time, you know, because now we recognize, oh, that's not really cool to say. So we try to censor ourselves. But I'm not, I can openly admit that it's from its time. I'm not going to be prudish about it when I sit down and watch it. Um, there have been people I have met throughout my life that have said some of the na- 
nastiest, disgusting stuff that you could ever hear. And a lot of it was was high school boys. High school boys, college boys, young guys, they just talked like that. You know, I have two younger brothers. I was around it. I was around their friends. I was at parties, um, going to school. You heard this kind of talk all the time. So it's not something that you have to suspend disbelief in. It's real life. And so when people start, oh, nobody talks like that. I'm like, yeah, they do. You just don't want to think about it because then it starts raising the whole thing of we we are trash as a society. Human beings are garbage. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm being cynical right now, but I just, I happen to think that the way he portrays these three characters is as realistic as it could possibly get. And by that token, I don't know that he intends for you to root for these guys at all. Yeah, I, I think story-wise... I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think, and we've talked about it before. I think the problem a lot of people have with Rob Zombie's characters is that, you know, well, they're, they're, they're just trashy. They are. And we know those people. Uh, no, I'm not, not. Not necessarily us personally. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows somebody, mm-hmm. right? Or you've met someone who acts like that. Yeah. The guys in this film are no different. And I think that's one of the reasons it offends people is because Eli Roth wrote um, Josh and Paxton, at least, to be entitled American assholes. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we've never run into one of those. <laughs> exactly. That's- that's my point. I mean, I don't, people don't like it. People don't. They wanted them to be the good guys. I think that's what it is. They were Americans in, in a, they were strangers in a strange land. And because they were American, they were supposed to be the heroes. Mm-hmm. They were dicks. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's probably true. I, I just, not them as people, but I, I don't know. They I mean, were... I've heard about Americans traveling to other countries and there are places that they're, they don't really want us there. Yeah. For that very reason. Yeah, exactly. Because we're assholes. They were spoiled, self-important, self-entitled, probably affluent dickheads yeah yeah and for everybody who says that's not true watch keeping up with the kardashians (laughs) then tell me i'm wrong don't sue me um (laughs) no and i think you're right though and so i think the story from a character standpoint probably fairly accurate at least and not even not even necessarily accurate to that time i think it's still accurate probably i work with a bunch of guys there are still guys out there like that yeah 100 percent. yeah there really are i just Um, one of the one of the big ones and i I'm just going to call it out. Um, one of the big ones was everything is gay. And that and that went on into part two. You know, if you if you didn't like something, something was stupid. That that was your response to everything. That is so fucking gay. You know, um, that was one that I used all the time when I was a teenager. Um, now it's cringe. Everything that we don't like is cringe, except for Travis, because Travis refuses to talk that way. Yeah. But I'd say that's dumb. Yeah. But at the like time it. in high school, I remember us all walking around and saying, that's gay. Does that make you homophobic? No, because I am not a homophobic person. Neither is Travis. We've made that very obvious on this show. But that was just slang at the time. That's It was just one of those words that caught on and then everybody started using it. Kind of like fetch. <laughs> Wait, no, that one didn't happen. <laughs> But if if this if this subject is going to make you go, I don't want to hear this. I'm offended by what they're saying. Feel free to skip ahead. It, this is just a topic that I'm a little bit passionate about because while I do agree that there are some things, some behaviors that needed to change for the better, I think there are some that have been blown out of proportion, in particular by younger generations. Because, like for instance, Travis and I were watching a reaction video on YouTube earlier 
earlier and this girl's reacting to America's Next Top Model. And I told Travis, I said, you're not going to want to watch this. And he's like, why? I said, because she complains about everything. Every single thing is bad behavior. And it's like, yes, there are some things that happened with, within that time frame of early 2000s that were unacceptable and that are gross. And you're, you're glad that we as a society are taking notice of that now. However, she would pick it down to the ittiest, bittiest, insignificant bit to where you're going, okay, it's not that serious, dude. Like not every single thing is a fucking quote woke moment, you know? And I'm not saying that in a derogatory sense. I'm, you know, I don't want anybody getting offended. Just again. She is offended by your some, statement. Sometimes I think people tend to take it overboard just a little bit. Well, the people that do that kill me because they will pick apart everything that everyone else does and talk about how offended they are. But if they do those same things, you're supposed to be okay with it. Yeah, I guess. Because they have a reason for it mm-hmm. and it should be okay. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so that's not about the story. No, I'm so. just, yes, technically <laughs> it is about it the is. story. I'm trying um, to, to say that I don't have to watch a movie with the disclaimer before every time I watch it, go, oh, it's of his time. Be, be careful, Ashley, not to get offended. No, I can just watch the fucking movie and go, yeah, yeah I went to school with those guys. Right. I hope they get their asses kicked. <laughs> right. But yeah, so, so kind of back to the story itself specifically. Um, I feel like it was a pretty smart script, I guess, or the way it flowed. So hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. So you get these two Americans and they join up with this, the, the king of swing. <laughs> and he just kind of is, is following, they're palling around together in Europe. Okay. Um, they go get their swerve on and then whatever. But when you get to the point where, I don't know, they're, they're just horn dogging is all they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then Oli disappears, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like in a different movie, they would have been like, oh, okay. He's just going off and partying on his own. But they were like, no, that's not right. And I think that's the part of the writing that I like is that they questioned it when he disappeared. Well, Josh did. They, Paxton did not. He didn't. But Paxton wasn't. I think Oli was just like, he's a, he's a kind of a fun guy to have around. But if he's not around, then he, he didn't care. Well, they called him a drifter. They so did. Paxton they did. did say like, but I, what I'm this saying is, America. is that I think that um, Josh formed a more personal attachment to him or took more responsibility than Paxton did. Mm-hmm. Paxton just had that personality. It's like, well, you know, me and Josh are here, so fuck everybody else. Right. Um, and that, but I think that that mentality was sort of in in the script, like it was portrayed that he he just didn't really didn't really care. Um, but the point being is that you can see where they keep stacking notes up and they keep keep asking, or Josh does keeps wanting to know where he is. I feel like in other movies they would have. They would have just written him off. And then when you get to uh, Josh's disappearance, instead of just being like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go find him here or whatever. He's questioning it. He's like, no, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, because Josh is the responsible correct. one. And so he re- he starts really looking and demanding answers out of these folks. And uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like they stayed pretty true to the characters throughout the throughout this process. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I like it that, they, that he did that, that Roth wrote them that way. Because like I said, in a lot of horror movies, especially your 80s horror films, they would have just been like, oh, I wonder where they went. Okay. And then just moved on. Right. You know? And then their body falls out of a tree in the third act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so somebody disappeared and you haven't questioned it until here they are. Like, surprise. I'm inclined to disagree I with you. I know you are. <laughs> 
because I feel like these guys made some of the stupidest decisions that you can make. And I get it that they're young and they're out trying to have fun and they're not necessarily going to question every single stranger they come across. But I'm a more kind of cautious and pragmatic person at large. And that's not to say I'm xenophobic or anything like that because I, I would hop the country tomorrow if I had the means to do it. But they seem to go over there with that mentality that I'm American and I'm untouchable. I have money. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And that's basically the overall story of this film is about be people being able to have the means to do whatever they want to do. Well, and... But, Consequence yeah, free. I, and I don't disagree with it, but I think that it was... I think from a story standpoint, it was well. It was written well. Oh, I'm not and saying I, it wasn't written well. I do like well. it that he tied their behavior to the behavior of the people who ended up killing them in the end. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't written well. I'm just saying particularly the characters of Josh and Paxton were not the smartest because I don't know that I would have just taken a kid at his word that, oh, there's a bunch of girls over here because I have nude photos on my phone. I don't know that I would have bought that. And but, I don't, I wouldn't be taking substances from people that I have just met. I can see people doing that. Oh, I could too. Uh, I I'm just see, saying. I can see guys that are in another they're country. They're stupid. They're educated. These guys are both educated. Paxton's going to be a lawyer. Josh is going to be a, a writer. writer. Mm -hmm. um, they've clearly got money. They've got a lot of time on their hands because I looked at the map. It's a, It would be a long ass train ride from uh, Amsterdam to uh, Bratislava. Bratislava. Mm -hmm. like that's that's all the way across Europe. Yeah. And I mean, they had, they had money. They're Americans. They know their rights. Right. Mm -hmm. I totally believe it. Totally, totally do. Yeah. That they would just take whatever. Because I mean, you know, they're, they're 20 something guys letting their dicks drive them around. And they, they truly think nothing's going to happen to them. And I think that's some bad happens to an American in another country. That's why. I'm American. I have money. Nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah. And yeah, I, no, I believe it. But there comes the, the, I guess the turning point, like you said, whenever the, the friends start to kind of disappear one by one. And particularly with Paxton, I think suddenly this tiny little village suddenly seems so much bigger. And he's just a small fish in this big pond. And the police officer tells him, you're so far from home. I think that's really when it starts to set in with Paxton that anything could happen to me and no one would know it. Which goes back to my stupid decision making of theirs. These guys have cell phones. Why didn't they call anyone? Who would they call? Their parents? Who would they call that could do anything about it though? I wouldn't care. I'd still tell, try to tell somebody. Right. Right. But no, I mean, I agree that that conversation in the uh, at the police station sort of was the turning point for him where suddenly he realizes that my citizenship and the money in my pocket will not protect me here. Yes. My my being American will not protect right. me. That's like that's like in Tales from the Hood where stupid Duke Medgar goes to try to save himself from the dolls, shielding himself with an American flag. Right. <laughs> What's the symbology? <laughs> That's symbolism. <laughs> anyway, no, I just, I, I think that's the part where I say it's just stupid decision making on their parts because they do really go in here thinking that they're, they're completely untouchable. Stupid decisions on the front side. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> but still realistic decisions. Okay. I, I, I guess so. I guess. I can yeah. still see college age people going over there and doing dumb shit. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about 
special effects. No, let's still talk about the story. Oh. Because we've talked about one tiny fraction of the movie. Well, I was trying to talk about the whole thing, and you were like, no, no, no. Um, I like that it starts out, it, It's this one's got a slow start. It's kind of a slow burn, where like I said, it feels like two movies because you're you're getting all this build up, all this build up, all this build up on the front side. And then suddenly they're all on antibiotics. Kind of establishing these characters in who they are, you know? Um, and there's, I was a little confused, I guess, about Josh. I felt like his character was written a little inconsistently because when you first meet Josh, he's an asshole like the other two. You know, he's he's picking fights with guys in bars. He, he's using homophobic slang. Um, he's just being the biggest piece of shit. But then all of a sudden when Oli disappears, then all of a sudden he's the responsible one and he's the one who's concerned or, or pining away about his ex-girlfriend. Now there's, there's more layer to him, you know? So I felt like he was written a little inconsistently because I remember going to watch this film the first time and I felt for Josh immediately, you know, going back and watching it now, I'm going, hmm. I don't I I feel like maybe I sympathize a little bit more with Paxton at this point but on that initial watch I remember feeling just awful for Josh because they kind of set him up as of the three he was the more sensitive he was the smarter one he you know he was the one who was a little bit more human being than the other two you know <sighs> Yeah, yeah. He he's his is a little bit different personality. The personality of that character is a little different. Um, but I think when you see him just on the normal day to day, he is that responsible guy. He just can't handle stressful situations. Okay. Or when he gets when he gets immediately put out of his comfort zone, like when Edward Salad Hands touches his leg mm-hmm. and he freaks out. Right. He was fine, normal Josh up until then, and it, it. But it's like he's got this safe bubble that he wants to be in, mm-hmm. and he can't handle anything happening that takes him outside that bubble. Right. I mean, down to. And, girls who smoke and when and when it happens he freaks out mm-hmm. right uh the touch on the leg when they pay for him to get the prostitute like he's hesitant about it but he still goes in there but as soon as she like starts getting naked he's like i i can't and and backs out you know what i mean mm-hmm. um <coughs> and i think that's so i mean i can see what you're saying but i could also see a person being that way you know i, I guess um, you're right and in because the bar, he was drunk and showing off because he knew he had his three friends with right him. right i was gonna say I, th- I think i know what you're trying to get at now in I could see where, again, you know, my brothers would act a certain way whenever their buddies were around. Or you would, even you have been guilty of this, you would be acting a certain way if, you know, our brother-in-laws are around or whatever. But then you're an entirely different person once they're not there anymore. It's kind of like the whole thing of kind of, I don't want to say it's just men that are guilty of that. No, because I've seen you do it too. But, sure. Um, (laughs) We will talk about it off mic. But I can see where he would act out or show out because his buddies are there. But maybe there's more brewing under the surface. Case in point, and this is just a conspiracy theory of mine. Da, 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 da. Um, there's a scene when he and the Dutch businessman meet back up in the bar after narrowly escaping the little uh, thug children. The gremlins. <laughs> and Josh then in turn puts his hand on the Dutch 
businessman's leg and then quickly removes it like, oh, I'm sorry. And there's this very odd exchange between the two of them. And watching it the first time, I never thought anything of it except that he was saying, oh, I get it. You're acting out because you're with your buddies. And so you're trying to be cool. And that's what I took it as on the original watches. But going back now, I'm watching it and I'm going, there seems to be some kind of implication here that Josh might be confused about his sexuality. And I asked Aiden, because he was watching it with me, I'm like, am I crazy? Let like rewind the scene back and listen to the dialogue between the two of them. And he was telling him, you know, I would have behaved the same way at your age, but I made the decision that was right for me, which was to have a family. And now I have my little girl. He's like, but you have to do what's right for you. And that read a lot different to me now for some reason. So I don't know if that's that was the intention that Eli Roth had in writing that scene. Um, somebody out there surely is going, don't give him that much credit. But you know, I, I actually am because he is an intelligent person. Like I've watched enough interviews with him and heard enough conversations to know that he is a very well-read, intelligent guy. So I just thought that was strange and it adds another layer of depth to Josh's character. Does it matter ultimately? Of course not. He's going to get mowed down in the next few minutes. But it gives you a little bit more there to why he is behaving a certain way in front of his friends. I disagree. Go ahead and disagree. <laughs> no, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Um, but I think, in in my opinion, what I saw is that Eli Roth wrote an introvert who is very comfortable. Um, with Paxton because Paxton is his friend and they exist inside that social circle together, right? Um, Paxton's in sort of in that bubble with him and he is awkward with anyone that he, that falls outside of that circle, right? Because he's awkward with just about everyone, even uh, to an extent with Oli. Like he clearly does not get along with Oli the same way that Paxton does because they seem to get along. They joke and grab ass around or whatever, just fine. Um, Have three <clears throat> ways together. Yeah. 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 Um, but it always it seems uh, like for Josh it's it's awkward. You know what I mean. Josh always looks uncomfortable when they're interacting because Oli's joking around or whatever. Um, and then when you see him putting his hand on that businessman's leg, screaming at the the bouncer or whatever, that's an introvert lashing out because they they've been their bubble has popped and they don't know what to do. Mm, okay. Like he doesn't know how to deal with a bar fight. He doesn't know how to deal with trying to apologize to someone that he screamed at on a train. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's so far outside of what he considers normal, what he's comfortable with, that it just comes off as really awkward. Okay. I'm I'm just we're gonna have but to the, agree to disagree. I, I understand, but that would fit his personality because Paxton is exactly the opposite. Um, Josh is wanting to be a novelist, which is a solitary pursuit. You don't engage with people when you do that necessarily. Paxton wants to be a lawyer. He And he's more outgoing. He wants to be the center of attention. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wants to be standing in front of the group of people. Um, he wants to have all eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those behaviors are true to how they react to things, mm-hmm. I guess. Because even though Paxton's a lot louder all the time, his reactions don't vary as much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, anytime... A, a, Anytime Josh has a stranger looking at him, he kind of gets weird. Yeah. So. Okay. It was smart writing either way. Regardless yeah. of how he, which way for it he intended it to be, it, I feel like it was pretty smart. Okay. Um. Now. How do you feel about, sorry, how do you feel about the whole. <laughs> Just interrupt me. <laughs> I am because you're, you're moving on. Don't move on. I wasn't moving on. Okay. I, <laughs> fine. I was, and maybe you were about to ask the same thing. I was going to ask you, how did you feel about Slovakia or Bratislava? This, this particular village, how did you feel about their side of things? 
I don't. I feel like everyone who wasn't part of the three or Kana, I guess, mm-hmm. everyone seemed sinister. Mm-hmm. Even when they were in Amsterdam, like the guy who's going to get them fucked up, it was... Oh, th- come on. The bar guy was innocent. I know he was innocent. I know that. <laughs> but when they pan around the room and these other people are looking at him, there's something just feels ominous about in everyone. In Amsterdam? Yeah. I thought you were talking about the bar in Slovakia. No, I'm talking about even in Amsterdam. I didn't get that. Um... Well, I mean, you know, because it was a bunch there, of frat boys. Because he goes, "Aren't there any Dutch people in?" And there's, <laughs> but when they're singing outside, people automatically throwing bottles at them. Which I get it, because if I had an empty bottle, I would have thrown they were it at them too. Pricks. I get that. I'm just saying that. <clears throat> The environment seemed a lot more hostile, I guess, from the viewer's standpoint. And then from the moment they set in Slovakia, definitely everyone that it shows, you know, watching them while they're walking down the street or whatever, it's like, they look like they're up to something, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I mean, you find out later that, yeah, probably the entire town is in on this thing. That That's what I was going to um, ask. Because, I mean, the police are in on it. Clearly, everybody works there, except except for the kids, um, the little street hoodlums. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked it that they were in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was interesting. I've never seen anything like that before in a film um and it's like you know if you give us bubble gum or we'll kill you if you give us enough bubble gum we'll kill the guy behind you um aren't they just like toddlers i mean because i feel like our children all at some point when they were babies were always asking for gum dollars or your phone yeah yeah um no i don't necessarily have an issue with the way they were written um oh that's not what i meant okay well then what did you mean i'll i'll go into it so do you i'm wondering because while the village itself looks very very beautiful in certain shots in certain locations there's other areas of there that do look very poor or far behind like like the working class are struggling a little bit so i'm going is this a thing that everyone knows about but they keep it to themselves or look the other way in order to keep their village thriving so that they survive or so that they don't become a victim themselves yeah i guess i mean I'm not I'm not trying to defend human trafficking. I'm just saying, like, is this an instance where you as someone who is Bratislavan or Slovakian, do you stick with the devil you know because it's safer that way? Well, I think that clearly this they were organized and they had a lot of money. So I mean, as a private person, how would you how would you fight against that? I mean, your option right. your option would be I stand up to him and I probably end up in one of those rooms mm-hmm. or they kill me or I move. Right. Well, actually, or I just I just have to leave. We saw that in Hostel 2 where there was a villager that was trying to go to the character of Beth and tell her, you know, he he's offer, acting like he's going to dance and she thinks he's trying to hit on her. But all along, you know, he tells her, I could have helped you. And then Mr. Jedi Man, guy behind the desk, uh, tells her he won't be bothering you anymore. And then the next time we see him, he's fleeing the village and he's been beat to shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I mean, I, any of those would be viable, but it doesn't explore that. No, it doesn't. You I know? just... I mean, in, in terms of hypotheticals, I think that if you lived there, unless you had a lot of money, <clears throat> your options are going to be fairly limited. Well, here's here's what I was going to say was, I don't think that that had to be made obvious. I don't think that they had to... I think in part two, they definitely explore that a lot more. But I think in this first film, it was much more nuanced because that was something I picked up from it. I don't... Yeah, I don't feel like it was, it was necessary for them to go into it. No, I don't either because because like i said i took that from it and just like how does the dutch businessman just happen to end up in the same club that josh is at and we find
find out again in part two that the guys like to kind of go and spy, right? Prey on their, right. you know. And so you get like the guy that the, the guy that was in the apartment that let them climb in their window, and uh, the two girls at the hostel. Well, I I took it that like the guy that they have recruiters mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. probably would have been all over Europe. I, I'm, I don't know if they explored it in part two. I don't remember part two or part three. Um. But obviously he was a recruiter. His job was to send people there. Right. And then the girls that they made at the hostel, their job was to keep them there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's clearly a very large organization and I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I didn't question it at all because um, I, didn't, I don't, didn't feel like I needed to. <laughs> yeah. And then to, to close this topic out, um, I do appreciate that we did get something of a character arc from Paxton and that at the beginning, you know, he, you know, we've already talked about what kind of a person that he is, but there's a scene where he's talking to Josh about how he witnessed the drowning of a little girl when he was a kid and he didn't do anything to save her. And that kind of comes full circle later where he's going and he hears Kana screaming and he has that moment of, do I go do something about this or do I flee and do exactly what I did before and have to live with this the rest of my life and ultimately goes back and saves her. Now, is that something I think most people would have done? Probably not, especially with somebody they didn't really know. But I think that it spoke for Paxton and it's kind of, for me, it was kind of a turning point with his character where I'm going, okay, I feel safe enough to root for this guy now. So that's what I was going to bring up earlier. Oh, is that why you were sticking your tongue out yes. at me? <laughs> yes. Um, I don't buy it. That felt added on to me. Um, well, yeah, it was a I plot convenience. I don't feel like that was consistent with his character that we'd seen up to that point. Okay. That whole story about the, the girl drowning and all that stuff felt just like it was added in because we need Josh or we need Paxton to survive and we need him to try to do something heroic. Yeah. Um, That's why I said I think it was a plot convenience. And I'd, I don't know. It makes more sense for somebody like Josh to have done I, that than Paxton. Yes, because they had been traveling with Oli for a while and Oli disappeared. Paxton was like, yeah, okay, Josh was worried. Paxton was like, yeah, he'll turn up or he won't. Right. You know, he didn't care. He'd spoken to this girl twice mm-hmm. ever. He doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Why would he give a shit? He's going to save his own ass. You know what I mean? I, I just... I feel like, I, it, yeah, they just needed him to do something at the end of the film. And so they added that in. That's what I think. Maybe. I don't know. I maybe just, he wrote I, that from the beginning. He may have. I just, But I don't feel like that is consistent with Paxton's character. I think. Because um, he was such a selfish asshole up to that point. I agree. Um, I think, though, Josh being the one to get killed first, I think that was done intentionally. I think we were supposed to think that Josh was our main character because we obviously learned more about him than we did about Paxton or Oli. Um, kind of more about his character where Paxton was, oh, I'm going to party. I'm going to fuck. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do drugs. And we got to kind of learn a little bit more about Josh and, you know, that he's upset about this broken relationship. Um, he's talking about not liking girls that smoke, but then he turns around and you find out he's asthmatic. Um, and then the, the whole exchange between him and the Dutch businessman, I just feel like he was being set up to be more 
of our main character than Paxton was. Just purely because there was something just a little bit different about him than there were the other two. So I think for me, when you, when the Dutch businessman pulls up that hood and you see Josh, you're like, oh fuck, I really expected it to be Paxton. As a matter of fact, I had heard on the commentary that when you're in that room and all you hear is one of the guys breathing, he actually played Jay Hernandez's breathing and Derek Richardson's breathing so that the audience wouldn't know who it was. He he did not want them to have that knowledge up front. Hmm. So because they both look like they're getting abducted at the same time. And we're back. I know you can't tell because of the way this is edited. You don't know we were gone for 20 minutes, you but don't. we were gone for 20 minutes. Because we had to pick our child up from work. Everybody say hey to Aiden, who has decided, I've seen this movie. I wouldn't mind putting in my two cents. Hi. <laughs> I just got finished putting in seven hours as a slave to capitalism. <laughs> so, Aiden, who has watched Hostel a few times now, how do you feel about the story before we move on to the next topic? The main character's are idiots um they're just dumb 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 and stupid okay you, you're we, you're describing movies like your dad does we, good job we agree on that point but do you feel like they were accurate to how do you feel like those they were unrealistic characters or that those were characters that, that yeah those could be real people real dumb guys yeah yeah i, I will say that they were realistic characters because realistically people aren't very smart yeah earlier i said we were trash as humans so yeah. i probably lost lost a few listeners at that point <laughs> but but they are <laughs> all right i guess i guess we can move on to special effects um i've, I've got to say this shit is top tier as far as special effects go and is it because it's k and b effects who did that like the fucking nvps of latter year special effects i say yes because as far as everything went on it i can't poke holes in any single one effect i know that earlier i said that when you got that close-up of the drill on Josh's skin that you could tell that that's fake skin. I think to a normal casual audience, they wouldn't be able to tell. So in that regard, the effects are flawless in my opinion. So I think part of that is because it, it says K&B, right? Mm-hmm. Well, K&B is not just those three people. They've got artists that work for Oh yeah, for them. they have a whole company. But I think the reason stuff looks so good in this is because they didn't just send their people. Burger was there right. on set mm-hmm. helping with effects. Mm-hmm. And I think having the K, the N, or the B on set makes a difference. Oh yeah, because those guys are fucking veterans. Uh, I honestly, same here. I can't poke any holes in the effects, especially with like that scene with Kana's eye. Mm-hmm. Like the pus and all that, that was brutal. But it looks amazing. It really does. It's, there's a lot of shit now that you can, you. I mean, even stuff like Terrifier now, that you can still go, hmm, that definitely looks like a dummy's severed head. But if you see a severed head in Hostel or Hostel 2, you're like, oh my god, that looks so fucking good. Okay, well, there were two occasions where we thought we were seeing a dead Josh, only to find out that we weren't seeing a dead Josh. We were seeing... We were seeing a dead Josh. We thought we were seeing a dummy. We thought, yeah, it wasn't a dummy. Like, no. they just did the makeups that that good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just, just fucking incredible. I mean, those, like, the Achilles tendon cut, it looks Oof. so good that when you're watching that scene, you fucking cringe. Like, and when Travis 
Travis and I were watching the documentary, the attention to detail that they went into. Because I remember one of the things that I thought was crazy watching it for the first time was that these guys were vomiting mm. while they were being tortured. That was something I had never seen in a film before. But it seems accurate. You would freak out and and probably void every bodily function you had short of shitting yourself. Well, um, you probably do that too. Roth, I mean, Roth did tell Hernandez that that was an option. <laughs> he did. That he could shit himself if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, but there was details that they put in that I totally missed, like the fact that they misted Josh's crotch during yeah. his torture scene so that it would look like he did butt himself, and I totally didn't I never it. caught that. I didn't either. Yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. Uh, I, I, my, my neck, the next scene I think of is whenever, is it Paxton that survives? Mm-hmm. When he's going through the hallway and you see Josh, like, all opened up. That's what we're talking about. That was actually Derek Richardson mm-hmm. laying there, and they put prosthetics over his chest. Your dad mm-hmm. and I thought that was a dummy the but, whole time but yeah, yeah that is like an absolutely wild scene so, seeing him opened up like that i got one more for you the scene where paxton is trying to hide in that pile of dead bodies on the cart mm-hmm. and he looks up for a moment and he sees josh facing him remember yeah um that was also him just makeup wow. like stitched up That's it was crazy too because when we were watching the documentary they showed him like mid scene where they're both just laying there staring at each other and then they say cut and richardson sits up and we were both like what oh, the what? hell <laughs> yeah. hold on wait a minute <laughs> Yeah, because we thought it was a dummy. Yeah. And and that's one more thing I want to talk about. This was a discussion, and we're going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump back into story territory for a moment, just because Aiden and I did watch it together l- last week. And Aiden and I were talking about that scene in particular, where Paxton wakes up and, and is facing Josh. And I was like, God damn, how rough would that fucking be to like look up and see your the corpse of your best friend looking at you? Like, God, I can't. I can. I can't imagine what that looks like. I know what that looks like. But at the same time, putting yourself in his position, it's just, oh my God, it's so surreal. (sighs) Okay. um, Am I the asshole? (laughs) Every time he's on the cart, I only hear Monty Python. (laughs) I don't want to go on the cart. (laughs) I'm getting better. (laughs) Bring out, Jenny. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. And then I see the guy in the, the chain mail apron, which why did he need a chain mail apron? And I think, Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, it seems like maybe he should have gone like a little bit more Dexter aesthetic with like a rubber or audition. Leather? Shouldn't it have just been a leather apron? A leather apron or like, rubber apron? All the people doing the killing are wearing leather aprons. Yeah. This guy gets chain mail. I, He's a fucking knight. You never know when a hobbit's going to jump out and try to stab you with a sword. <laughs> Was that his <laughs> hobbit shirt? <laughs> Maybe he was worried he was actually going to, like, stab himself. <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> I'd rather stab myself with chainmail on than rubber. Mm. <laughs> anyway, anybody else got anything to say about the special effects? They were awesome. I, I think they were incredible. That is all. Fantastic. And, and I think maybe more to prove the point that people thought they were seeing things that they never saw. Yeah, that kind of goes back to the point we were talking about yeah. at the top, is that I think the effects, yeah, the effects are so good that you think you see things that you didn't see yeah exactly and sound effect actually helps a lot with that too there's so much squishing noises and pounding 
noises. Like, like for instance, there's this one scene where uh, Paxton pays the little group of kids in this giant bag of candy to stop the uh, elite hunting club goons to not follow him. And the kids just start like fucking bricking these guys with these huge rocks. Well, they were throwing cobblestones at him out of the yeah. street. They straight murked those guys. Yeah. And we saw in the documentary that these are just little foam painted rocks that are very lightweight and they bounce when you throw them on the ground. But from the sound design and the special effects, you would have really, it was like straight out of fucking Home Alone 2. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin is like nailing, nailing Harry or whatever yeah. his fucking name is with the bricks. God, like, and then they're stomping his head at one point and it looks well, they, so good. They were smashing his head in with a rock. Yeah. It looks so good the, though. The Foley artists got a workout. Yes. Yes. In this film. For damn sure. I just want to say those little kids are brutal. <laughs> And like, they are some Jesus. dancing little bastards, let me tell they you. They were. They were. You they were out this there like breakdancing in the street. <laughs> it was so cool. And Eli Roth is a horrible bad influence because he was telling all these kids to say cuss words and stuff. He was, he was like, say Poonanny. <laughs> he was teaching them sneeper. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I thought and you were just going to say that he was a horrible bastard. No. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. No. He, He's know, an inglorious bastard. Yes. <laughs> no, the, the leader of the little kids, there was, it was just him and the, him and that kid, Roth and the, and the kid. Yeah. And they're doing like a repeat after me kind of thing. And he's like, Sneeper, Punani, bitches and hoes. And the little kids just saying it right along with My him. wife. Yeah. He went, he went Borat there for a little yeah. bit. Jesus. Was that appropriate for him to do Borat there? I don't know that that kid probably knew what he was talking but those kids were pretty great (laughs) they they really were um so speaking of which that kind of takes us into the acting portion of this if we're done with special effects i think so so aiden we'll start with you since you've been absent for most of this how did you feel about the performances all around it was really good except for that ah that one guy that paxton runs into whenever he's trying to hide are you talking about the american client yeah Oh, Rick Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, we have not really talked about Rick Hoffman yet. Well, that's because Rick Hoffman just came up. <laughs> I I kind of liked that character. I did too. I, I, I It sounded like you were about to disagree, but I kind of liked his character. I don't know. Some, something about a way he delivered the lines just felt a bit off, but I it's not that I can't believe the character. It's like he did... All the coke on yes. Scarface's desk before yes. they film that scene. Yeah. He has a very manic, anxious energy about him. Like he's very nervous and hyped up and it's like a frantic nervousness. Yeah. Yeah. Like But my thing is that it's such a clear, like I guess disconnect compared to the other two killers that we see. Cause like the the guy that gets a hold of Josh, uh-huh. He's like weirdly obsessive about it. Like you can tell from the way he talks. He's just just creepy. He's mm-hmm. weird. Or like he eats salad with his hands. Aiden. He's Hannibal yeah. Lecter. <laughs> or like the guy that gets a hold of Paxton. Like he, the German and, guy. Yeah. Again, the same thing throughout the whole thing. He's there's just something wildly off about him. That's because he's the only American. Uh, you know what? That's that's probably pretty fair. The other two, one was Dutch and the other one was German. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... But even in just like their mannerisms, there's something very off-putting about them as characters. And then he comes in and it's like this is just some asshole with too much money. No, he's a big, loud American 
working with a gun. That's, yeah. Who yeah. wants this, motherfucker? I, I feel like, yeah. So that being said, I thought his performance was terrific because... I liked it. He stressed me the hell out, especially the scene where he wants to see Paxton's tattoo and you're like, ah, ah, like, ah, you know, and he's, he's just very insistent on tell me all about it and all these things and Paxton's struggling trying to, you know, not give himself away and you keep thinking any minute now this guy's going to going to find him out but he is a wealthy american businessman who is in who's used to getting what he wants right from everyone probably so these are this is like a frank type of character from hellraiser he gives that whole spiel about how he's been all over the world he's done this he's done that and he's doing that thing where he's going that extra step he feels like he has to do something more extreme you know yeah and he's spending fifty thousand dollars to kill kana i mean we don't know it in that moment but Mm -hmm. yeah why do you think americans are most the most expensive because well, technically they hate she was japanese and she was fifty thousand. yeah but i think americans were the most expensive on the well i the think card. that could be because uh, maybe americans didn't go there very often maybe it was harder for them to get mm. maybe it was riskier for them to get i figure it's because they hate us the most no <laughs> plus think about distance yeah well that's what i'm saying like it's maybe it was just a rarity sort mm. of thing yeah like they probably didn't get a ton of japanese tourists which is the reason she went for double what an american was but you're no you're... no no. the americans were the most expensive but she cost the... less no she didn't yes she did no yes she did no yes she did i promise you he says richardson says fifty thousand dollars americans were 25 on the card americans were 25 Pause aiden it. fact check no we're gonna <laughs> stare at each other awkwardly in weird <laughs> we silence can't do that we cannot have dead until air <laughs> he get... huh it's not dead it's full of tension <laughs> It's full of <laughs> nervous waiting for you to be right about a movie. I'm telling you. 5000 for Russian, 10000 for European, 25000 for Americans. But how much was Kana? How much um, did Richardson say he paid to kill her? Richardson. Well, that's the actor's his... name. And the, he's only credited as the American client. And I don't want to say that every time. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to find it. Do, 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 do. All right. We'll be back. <laughs> All right. I'm going to need everyone to listen along here. And it was worth it. It was worth it. Fifty grand. It was worth. It was worth it to look that up. I just. Okay, first time ever, man. First time ever. I am wrong. Okay, how does it feel? It feels great. Aiden, high five. High five. Okay, whatever. I just. I guess I never paid attention to that. I just always latched onto the part where he had told him American and he said, ain't that a bitch, big spender. So I just assumed that the Americans were the most expensive thing on the menu. You that just assumed that the bad. Americans were the most important, huh? No. <laughs> I just really thought that we were probably the most hated foreign country. Well, that's true. But again, I think a lot of it had to do with the frequency of... I mean, fuck it. We had freedom fries for fuck's sake. <laughs> We've got David Hasselhoff. No, technically Germany has David Hasselhoff. That's true. <laughs> Aiden doesn't even know what to do here. We have, we have Matthew McConaughey. I don't think they want him. <laughs> they watched Failure to Launch and they were like, nah, keep him. We, we don't want him either. Hey, be a lot cooler if you did. Be a lot cooler <laughs> if you did. 
All right, all right, all right. What's the next topic? We're still talking about acting. We were getting Aiden's opinion, and he went off on Rick Hoffman. Sorry. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) like that's just... Yeah, I keep wondering where the fuck you were getting Richardson from. I don't know. I just made some shit up. Derek Richardson is Josh. Yeah, that's... Well, see, it was a name. Oh, my... Okay, now I was right. It was a name from a person in the film. Is is that like Donald Loomis? Yes. Donald Glover? Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, like all around, just five stars. You know, like it was, it was damn good. What was damn good? The acting? Yes, the acting. Okay, I was like, uh, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He doesn't know what to do with his hands right now. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I feel like the acting was, it was pretty good. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake. Why is it always on me? No, so... I think I said this at the beginning that I felt like I saw more than I actually saw in this film and the effects play a huge part. I feel like the way it's cut plays a huge part, but the acting, I don't want to say it's like top tier. You know what I mean? But it was really, really good because the actors and actresses in this film straight sell being murdered. Yeah, like the the screaming and the crying and the vomiting. I would say in particular, Derek Richardson acted his entire ass off because I can't imagine going to the level that he had to go to. When the scene where he gets his Achilles tendons cut... The way he re- reacts to that, I thought they're really cutting him. <laughs> like, yeah, somebody they they pulled they gave him the old twist his dick maneuver because he's <laughs> the old he's, dick twist. He's going off, and um, yeah, the whole with Paxton was Paxton was getting his fingers cut off and all that. Yeah, I, I mean, I realized the vomit was fake. I just don't think his but was his as, was not as intense. Yes, like I remember that was one of those scenes when I was sitting in the theater watching it, like almost wanting to cry myself because I felt so bad for him like well he's sitting there with like snot running down his face and yeah yeah and um so he interrupted me again he loves to do that i'm just gonna keep doing it fifty thousand (laughs) dollars anyway but you know behind the scenes it was showing him talking about how that room was really creepy to be in so maybe he's just one of those actors that it doesn't take him much to get into character especially with the set design that they had um but i don't know something about his performance was just so disturbing and so guttural that it just at times you really felt like you were watching a snuff film yeah and i think that and i give him all the credit in the world for that performance yeah I, I feel like the acting across the board even even on the front side you know the, the first half of the movie <coughs> excuse me um i feel it was good like Oli was supposed to be a likable guy I, he was funny was he uh, you know i mean to a point <laughs> he, he was the comedy you're uh, a you're a guy so a i guy. i don't here's the deal <laughs> i he was funny to watch he would not be funny for me to have to deal with like right. i'd have to hit him <laughs> or something you just get away from me i can't i can't deal with that much energy um but i feel like he he did a great job especially for someone that's not an actor i know yeah yeah and um yeah i mean if you wanted to buy them being entitled assholes they They did did great they did fantastic um yeah i mean i don't know I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about the acting at all. I, I don't, actually. Even even the Dutch businessman, which I get, he wasn't a first-time actor. I mean, he was just an actor overseas. I think that was his first American film. Yes. Um, he was so good at just being, like... Even, really off-putting. Hannibal. Yeah, I was going to say, even before you know what he's doing, he's very, very creepy. He gives off Hannibal Lecter vibes. salad with his fingers. <laughs> yeah, with a nice key ante. Yeah, so let's talk about that for 
a, for a moment. You had brought up something that I hadn't thought about with the whole uh, having a relationship with your food thing. You were you were talking about that well, when we were watching. He it. was building a relationship with his food, mm-hmm. which was Josh. Which he wasn't necessarily going to eat Josh, but he talks about building that having a relationship with um, the things. How do you kill? Put it? Yeah, the things that die to sustain you or yeah. whatever, and something that gave its life for me. Yeah, and that's what Josh was going to do. Josh just didn't know it. Oh, that's so creepy. That is. So it was foreshadowing. Ooh, ooh. There was a lot of foreshadowing. Yes, I was going to say, we didn't discuss that. Because what what is it that they say? There's there's the one scene when they've just had the tryst with with uh, Svetlana and um, whatever the other girl's name is, um, <laughs> and they were showering, and he says, "Fuck, dude, we're never leaving here." Right. And it was like, ah, oh, but I can't remember what the other line was. It's at the very beginning, and it's I can't remember now. Yeah. But it it's it's towards like the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. and I want to say it's Paxton then too that says something about. It's not like we'll just disappear or something like that. And uh, they, yeah, they do it a few times. And yeah. it's, I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything until you've seen the movie. Right, right. It, you don't get it until like the second watch and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Which again, don't know if he did that intentionally, but if he did, that's smart writing. Right. So right. Is it smart writing to put something in that's not going to make any damn sense until they watch it the second time? Have you seen Donnie Darko? I was going to say, you've watched Jordan Peele films, right? <laughs> yeah, but Donnie Darko still doesn't make sense. Fair enough. Um, does are we sure Lynch? Me. Are we sure David Lynch didn't make Donnie Darko? <laughs> David Lynch films don't make sense anytime you watch them. Never. He doesn't care if you know or not. Oh my God. He does not. You have to say that every single time. I do. So. Honestly, I think that's a badass way to think about it. Like, that's a badass attitude to have to your own writing. It's like, they're not going to get it, and I don't care. <laughs> anyway, uh, did you pay attention to the score this time? Did you happen to? There was music in this movie. I agree. I mean, it's not like it's songs you could name. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to, but I can't. I can't name them. I, I liked the score. I, I It was a a lot of it was, um, what would you say, like atmospheric mm-hmm. or moody, mm-hmm. potentially. Uh, I feel like the music, it just, it fit the scene, uh, particularly the music at the very end. Don't you steal my thunder. I'm stealing it. I stole your $50,000. Now I'm going to steal your oh thunder, too. Oh, my God. Um, but that one specifically, our dog's a butthole. Um, <laughs> he, it was just, it was very... I don't even know. It was sad. I mean, it was. That's not really the word I'm looking for. It's bleak. It's a yeah, very. It's a very stark ending, mm-hmm. and uh, much like the ending of House Stark. Oh my and, god. And uh, okay, I'm talking now. All right, you do it. So I felt like like what he was trying to say where the music fit the scene. I think what he was trying to say was that the music kind of goes all over the place, almost kind of leading you by the hand. That when, like for instance, when you first get to Bratislava they play this very upbeat like there's the score and everybody's full of wonder because look at this village it's fucking amazing and so the music swells and you're feeling like you're there with them like oh my gosh this is amazing and all this stuff and then you start you get all this frantic club music throughout that like and I know those realize those are actual songs but it makes you kind of discombobulated in the frantic pace of everything going on. So did you notice that the first club scene right where they, where they all go back and get laid basically mm-hmm. that was the really upbeat like techno house music or whatever mm-hmm. when they go back the second time when josh gets drugged or mm-hmm. whatever it's not no it's not it's taken way down a notch you still got the music but it's a lot darker that's a good point that could have waited after i finished what i was saying <laughs> never 
anyway, but, but yeah, it, the more you go into it, the more foreboding it becomes until, you know, you get your typical climactic horror type score. And then, yeah, my, my favorite piece in particular is as the end title card comes up. It's, oh, so good. It gives me chills every single time I hear it. Aiden, what'd you think? There was music. <laughs> He didn't pay attention. There, there was music. I'm certain of it. And it, it was, it, it fit the atmosphere and it was good. It was music and they played it with instruments. Yes. So you, you joined us sadly kind of at the back half of this. So we're, we're wrapping up now, unfortunately, but this might give you a little bit more opportunity to talk about some of the things you liked. So we're going to go into quote, kill and scene. And I'm going to put Travis on the spot, make him start first. Oh shit. Uh, yeah, there were three of those in this in here all right so favorite quote are you ready Mm -hmm. so glad i shaved my balls for this (laughs) i cannot believe that's your favorite line (laughs) it's hilarious what are you talking about it's hilarious um favorite kill that one's tough because you really don't see um a number of the kills in this like you don't actually see him kill josh Mm -hmm. but um i think i'm gonna go with where towards the end where paxton mows down the three the recruiter and the two the two women Mm -hmm. Um, just because you feel like that's it's sort of it's justice you know there's vindication behind the killing like he's getting his revenge in some kind of way it's very satisfying it is like you feel you feel pretty good about it because you haven't really been rooting for paxton at all Mm -hmm. but in that moment you're like yeah he did it. Get the ass. Like fist bump. Get that little herpes kid. Well, he already did that, but now he's going to kill him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and scene, favorite scene has got to be uh, the one with the American client. Okay. I just, I love the, the frantic energy he brings to that scene. Mm-hmm. And even though you know, Oli is very, he's very high energy. Mm-hmm. His is completely different. Completely different. So much so he actually cut himself with the prop gun <laughs> yeah. while they were filming it. Cut himself on the head. And it bled for several and it hours. it bled for a long time. Yeah. Some, somebody's on blood thinners. Um, <laughs> But yeah, because, and, and because it seemed his acting was so just like out of left field okay. in that moment. And I feel like he really portrayed a good American, I guess. not, And I don't mean that in a positive way, like the entitlement and I can do what I want and I'm going to be loud and obnoxious. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and go so that Aiden's got a little bit more time to think about this. Um, quote for me is going to be, I get a lot of money for you and that make you my bitch. That's such a badass line. Like I, I was telling Travis about this off mic. I'm a sucker for a femme fatale. Like there's this one moment where the two girls, they're having sex with Paxton and Josh and they both prop up one moment and they look at each other from across the room like, you ready? And it's, there's just something so fucking cool about it. So I feel like it pays off when she says that line to Paxton and it's, I I just feel like it's such a badass line. So weird to, okay. Is it, is it significant that they both assumed that position before they did it? Because they were both in a dominant position when they exchanged that look. Yeah, I guess maybe i don't know i just i thought it was really cool um as far as kill scene i don't care what you say i think it's very much implied that josh was killed regardless of whether we actually saw it or you not you haven't cared what i've thought for 20 years <laughs> because he does take the scalpel to his throat and you know what the hell's just happened so that is going to be my favorite kill for all of the reasons we listed in performance and special effects his performance the stress of this situation 
situation, remembering the feeling that I had the first time I saw it and it being so fucking intense and so new for me to see, it almost, I mean, as fucked up as it sounds, it almost kind of holds a special place in my heart now. So for that reason, that's always going to be my favorite kill. Um, In terms of scene, I'm going to say the ending because while yes, his mowing down of the three recruiters with the car was badass and satisfying, I would argue that him killing the Dutch businessman was more satisfying than that, especially when he holds him up in front of that reflective surface, much like, <laughs> no pun intended, mirroring Josh's kill. I I just, oh, yes, I love the scene of him busting down that bathroom stall door and sticking, shoving his head in the toilet and then holding his fingers down as he cuts them off to, to get vengeance for his own missing fingers. Like, there's this look, and, and this kind of goes to Jay Hernandez's performance. There's this shot of him just with this crazy fucking look in his eye. Like, it, it actually made me, it made me harken back to Cannibal Holocaust, where the reporter, the guy that we've been following for that entire film, comes out of the building where he's just showed these network execs the video footage, and he narrates to the camera, I wonder who the real cannibals are. And so this is kind of that same situation where Paxton is just, all of this has made him, forced him to snap in a way that he's behaving in the same way as these people did before. So. Well, and um, I guess more to that point, the look on, the look that he has when he's leaving on the train, right? Like he's, he's, he's got PTSD. Oh, absolutely. He, Without a doubt. Mentally, he has been irreparably damaged. And at the beginning of the film, uh, where they're in the brothel, he tells Josh, the things we do here will be the things we remember forever. Yes. Or something to that effect. Uh-huh. Like, this is the shit you're going to think about later. And yeah. Fair enough. It really was. All right, Aiden. You had time to think about it? Yes. Okay. So, um... Ah, shit. I don't really think I have a favorite quote. That That's fair. You didn't watch it right before yeah. recording like Dad and I did. Uh, but my favorite kill by far has to be when Paxton gets out. When he escapes from the, the German guy. Because mm-hmm. watching him get out of there and then just ice the guy. With You mean when he sh- shot yeah. him in the head? Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know. It's That's the first part where I really started rooting for him. It's like, okay. yeah, you get him! <laughs> get the hell out of here! Um, My favorite scene has to be the kids just demolishing demolishing that car <laughs> just going to town because they look so happy as they're just demolishing i the love damn how thing. the one kid when little bitty kid goes to the kind of ringleader to mm-hmm. ask for a piece of candy and he's just sitting there swinging his legs chewing mm-hmm. his gum like yeah it was it was perfect so in the documentary they really let those kids tear up a car yes they were having the best time yeah <laughs> i would do man <laughs> It's like, you're going to pay me to beat the shit out of a car? Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) All right. So, Travis, Aiden, Mm -hmm. marry, fuck, or kill, hostile. Uh, somebody else want to go first? I'll go. It's a Mary. It's a Mary. Again, it's one that I don't keep in regular rotation because I love it so much and would like to continue to. I understand that this film is very divisive. Um, I don't expect to have swayed your opinion on it today, but maybe I've given you a little bit to think about where you're like, okay, at the very least, maybe I should give it a rewatch. But I say, if you watched it the one time and you were like, fuck it, I'm never watching this movie 
movie again. It's completely gratuitous. I ask you to really think about what was going on in the country at that time and give it a rewatch. Okay. Okay. It, it's a fuck for me. It's torture porn, but it is very well-made torture porn. And so I would say, even if you never plan on watching it again, go in there and watch it. Maybe even watch it twice so you, you do pick up on the foreshadowing and stuff. Because it's not my cup of tea, but it is a damn good movie. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go with, this is more like a drunken booty call. Like, you're sad, feeling kind of lonely. You've called everyone else. No one else will answer their phone, but you're pretty sure they will. Sort of a... Just say fuck. Booty call of last resort. Yeah. Yeah, but it ain't my first choice, or second, or third. Uh, or this fourth. is this is a fuck out of desperation. Oh my god! <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's it's not one I could watch all the time. It's I don't it's watch not, it all the time. Um, well, you wanted to marry it, and you have to see me every day, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's true so are you sure you want to be married to this thing yes because it's a hog <laughs> well, bestiality is legal here <laughs> yeah, you see how oh I did see that? that quote you remember yeah you see how i did that that was that was really oh, messed up okay nobody took the time from favorite quote to go this will flack you up <laughs> that <laughs> was pretty good i thought about it i no, did think about it i don't know this is like um Probably only watch it like a couple times a year. I don't even do that. It may be like once every couple of years or something. Yeah, but I'm saying like if it, if it, it it's not ever going to be in regular rotation. I don't know that it could be. It's kind of like it's kind of like The Witch, and I'm not comparing it in terms of quality or whatever. It's just one of those films that it, I don't know. You can't you can't watch it like back to back. Maybe or whatever. you can't. This one or The Witch. The Witch. I'm just saying that The Witch is like an exhausting movie, and this one kinda is too. Mm-hmm. You are one um, messed up individual for different. I know that for different reasons, <laughs> but it's when you you almost have have to put some space in between watches mm -hmm. so okay all right so final thoughts on the film did you change your answer no all right you got to see it every day it's still a mary no i don't have to see it uh, this is just one of those my, again because i have to explain this every week for some reason my definition of mary is i could not imagine never watching it again i could i i can't i, I could okay well I'm, I'm glad you said your piece go to your room no <laughs> stay here you <laughs> Final thoughts, everyone. Aiden, go first. Uh, nice thought. If you look out the right side window, um, I don't. I don't know. Again, it's a really good movie. Um, I enjoy watching it, despite the fact that I said I could see not ever watching it again. Um, and I recommend you do. It's it, it's a solid watch, honestly. Again, maybe torture porn, but it is well made torture porn. I I disagree with the torture porn title for this, and I I, I can kind of get why people would call it that, but I I disagree. I feel like the later entries in the Saw franchise go way more into that than this film does. That's for fair. that matter, the second and third installments of this franchise go further that direction than this one does. Um <sighs> I don't know. It's a solid. It's a solid film. I think. I think everybody should watch it. Um, watch it, being aware of the content, because mm -hmm. there may be some things in there that people are going to find really objectionable. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think get, watch it and and give it a chance. And if you haven't seen it in a really long time, like you watched it one time, you're like that movie pissed me off. Give it a yeah. Try it again. Try it again. Because I didn't pick up on some of that stuff the first time I watched it. I probably didn't pick up on it the first 
three or four times I slept through it. But um, yeah, I think it's it's better than people give it credit for. It's better than 59%. I, I, I think I already said my piece a second ago, pretty much. But I, I think watching it with a different maturity level helps a lot. Um, and like I said, looking out for those nuances. And um, I think it does beg the question of what would you do in this situation? You know? Um, yeah, I just, I think that there's more there than people like to give it credit for. Is it gratuitous? Absolutely. But is it as bad as people have made it out to be? No. It's not fucking Nickelback, guys. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Always got to take pot shots at Nickelback. <laughs> Never surrender. Like, I, sometimes I feel like people like to jump on a bandwagon and say, oh, well, this person didn't like it, so I don't like it either. I would urge you to, um, we haven't given you YouTube shout outs in a very long time, but I would urge you to look up Ryan Hollinger's video on it because he talks about how misunderstood it is. And I thought he did a very good job. It's very well researched, very well thought out. And yeah, he he brought up a lot of things that I hadn't thought about before. So I'm, that's, that's me. I would urge you to just give it another chance and look at it through a different lens. So you, when, when I said, Hey, let's see if we can find some reviews on YouTube, you know, before we do this, just to kind of see what other people's takes on it. And you said, there's not very many of them out there. Right. Um, and that some of the ones that were, weren't really that positive, but you brought up a very valid point is that because this movie is only, it's not well rated and it was not initially very well received. You got a lot of those people out there that maybe they do like, it, but if you pull it up on YouTube, they're not going to say that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things they're not going to admit to on their channel. Right. So, uh, and and simply because it's unpopular to like this movie, I guess. I think so. Like, I, I would urge you to think for yourself and stop listening to the, what the world at large yeah. has to say. Yeah. Watch it with an open mind and choose your own adventure. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's good. Just don't do it in Bratislava. <laughs> I hear it's lovely. So, all right. So, wrapping up. Also, always remember to bring a towel. <laughs> Next week, we are going to go with some much, much, much lighter fare. We are going to be talking Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. It's about time. This is Travis's pick. Not that I don't like it. I love this movie very much, but I don't let Travis pick the films very often because if I do, he'll pick Surf Ninjas and we, nobody you know, needs that. You keep going back to that, but that's not a horror film. Or Biodome. Uh, that's also ha- not a horror no, film. I'm have you watched you have, either of those? I'm saying you have awful taste in films. I'm saying, no, no. They're, I'm, I'm saying I that both of those are horror films. films. I'm saying both of those are horror films. <laughs> I the, agree. So they're Fist both, bump. They're both horrible films, but I like them. <laughs> No, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we'll be talking Beetlejuice next week. And it's a fun movie. I, I love it. And I'm super excited that they're getting a sequel. I don't think we've met a Tim Burton film we didn't like. There's actually quite a few that I still haven't seen in... Well, I mean, out of the ones we've watched together, I don't know that we've watched one yet that we both didn't like. Yeah, because I'm about to say something a little controversial. I think um, I got to a place where I kind of had Tim Burton fatigue a little bit because... You have so many films from your childhood where you're going, oh, I love that film. I love the aesthetic. I love the music. I love the acting. But then you start getting to a point where they're all the same. It's the same aesthetic. It's the same actors. It's the same score. And you're going, I wish he'd do something a little bit different. But then, to be fair, when you ask for something a little bit different, you get the Lone Ranger. So who am I to... 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. I, we never even watched that. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't either, but. <laughs> Johnny Depp was Tonto? Yeah. Now there's no, there, not, there's no more to say beyond that. Like Johnny <laughs> Depp was, he basically was Jack Sparrow dressed up like a Native American. Yeah. From what I've seen. So. Is that a racism? <laughs> um, Not on my part. I feel like, yeah, I feel no, like they I mean, probably, they probably crossed On their a few part, lines. yes. They crossed yeah. a few lines when they were making the movie. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so thank you guys for listening to another episode of Dead Mary. We'll see you next week with Beetlejuice. And before we go, um, I'm going to bring the room down a minute and I don't mean to, but at the end of every episode, we, we plug our patrons. And this week we learned one of our patrons has passed away, uh, Gary Horton. He was a terrific friend of mine. He was there for me a lot through London's passing. So I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm sorry to his friends and his family and everyone that knew him and was part of his life and gonna miss you buddy oh thank you for contributing to our show and supporting us and being a terrific friend take care guys bye 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 thank you for listening to another episode of dead and married a very special thank you to our patrons william and Zena rush of original cinematic gary horton carissa kate lamp karima rhodes kent morton lala thomas and renee hunter vasquez john paul vasquez and travis hunter of podmortem if you would like to support the show go to patreon.com slash dead and married to find out how another special thank you to alana miller for composing dead and married's theme you can find alana's channel alana llama on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing, and thank you again for your support.